0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code The Athletic, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a fifteen-hundred-dollar first bet offer on your first wager.
1: The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a hand break off.
2: Hello and welcome to Handbrake off the Arsenal podcast, brought to you by the Athletic. I'm Ian Stone. Joined this week by a very happy James McNicholas and Art De Roche. Uh, good morning, chaps.
3: Morning, Ian. Hi, Ian.
2: Good morning. Well, North London is red, isn't it, after yesterday. Uh, We will be talking about, well, yeah, as you would have expected from an Arsenal podcast, uh, the day after beating, spanking Spurs, may I say, in a North London derby. Uh, We will be talking about that. By the way, it's been pointed out by Abby, our producer, that Hansi Flick was there yesterday, presumably to look at Burnt Leno. Bit of a wasted trip, or did he, do you think he probably enjoyed it, didn't he? I mean, it was uh, it was fabulous. I mean, I wanted to talk about the atmosphere at the game, and I genuinely think that when that third goal went in, James, I know you did a little tweet talking about the noise uh, at the Emirates, but mm. when that third goal went in, I, I thought that, aside from, say, Barcelona at home, that might have been the loudest I've ever heard it down there. So I wanted to ask you guys, what is that sort of favourite, Noisy crowd moment that you've had. James, I'll start with you.
1: Well, I mean, you're right to point out Andrea Sharvin and the win over Barcelona way back when. The occasion that sprang to mind for me was Danny Welbeck. <clears throat> you have to forgive my voice, by the way. It was quite a big day yesterday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll probably hear yeah. the remnants of that in me. But um, was Danny Welbeck's late headed winner against Leicester City in, was it 2016, possibly? The year that they went on to win the league. But in that moment, it felt like the pendulum had swung in our direction. Um, And it was just a raucous atmosphere. The lateness of the goal contributed to it as well as the significance. Um, But I agree with you that yesterday felt as raucous as that, as positive. I think, obviously, the fact that we've had the pandemic, this was the first derby with fans, The atmosphere was building up all day. You know, they'd urge people to get into the ground early. I think there was great atmosphere in the pubs and the streets. And then that moved into the concourses and then into the stands. And by the time kickoff came around, the Emirates Stadium really felt like a cauldron, you know. And I don't think you can always say that of the ground. And I think there are lots of reasons why that is. But yesterday, the atmosphere was second to none. And obviously, the way that the the first half panned out, it only added to that. And I thought it was telling the manager, the players, so many of them dedicated this to the fans, this victory. And I think a lot of that is because, obviously, they've shown support through a difficult period right at the start of the season. But I think also it's because that degree of support, I think, lent itself to the intensity of the performance that Arsenal produced.
2: Yeah, uh, I think I would agree. Ah, oh, you uh, you had to watch this game in the pub because you were covering <laughs> the uh, the women's game, which also, by the way... Was a fantastic result for the Arsenal. What a very very nice day yesterday. I mean, beating Man City, and we will talk about that a little bit. I'm assuming the pub was pretty sort of febrile as well.
3: Well, to be honest, it. it I'm not sure because it was kind of a split. It was half split Tottenham and then the Arsenal. So <laughs> oh, that's I even was just, better. It's even better. <laughs> so I was just in the corner, and then uh, I had my my glass of coke there, and I was watching on the on the big screen, uh, and I was just trying to concentrate on everything that was going on. Obviously, it was quite hard, especially when, um, I know we'll talk about it later, but when Smith-Rose scored, I don't know. I my It was almost like an out-of-body experience because <laughs> he, he almost scored last season when he hit the crossbar. Yeah. I don't know if you remember that.
0: Yeah,
3: And I almost went crazy <laughs> when he did that. So I was just trying to contain myself. But then I guess in terms of the actual opening question, um, I guess, favourite crowd moment? I think the one that sticks out is when another North London derby at the Emirates when uh Spurs had just sold Gareth Bale. <laughs> um and um it was only a one nil win, Giroux at the front post, but um I I remember that day was quite not as I guess raucous was the word James used, but not not as lively, but it just felt quite like like a good event I guess and then Messer Erzel signing the day after wasn't wasn't bad either. So so that's the one that sticks out in my mind um at the moment.
2: Yeah. What about you, uh I mean I mean there haven't been that many at the Emirates, to be honest with you. I, I mean I can remember quite a lot of Highbury Um but at the Emirates, as you mentioned, the Barcelona one, it was also one where we beat Chelsea 3-1. We were 2-0 up. Then they got one back. I think Ivanovic scored and then Theo Walcott went through and, and properly smacked one into the corner. And my Chelsea mate was there. He said he'd never heard a noise like it, and it was pretty special. Um, but if I'm having one, and we didn't really want to go down the North London derby route again, but when Cesc Fabregas got the second goal when he ran through uh, eight seconds after the first one, that was a noise that I'll remember for quite some time. But I genuinely feel uh, like yesterday matched it. Um, I, I mean, I also where i was uh i was going to say where i was sat but i wasn't sat i was standing the entire game i ended up in the north bank uh in the lower tier um in w- w- i was going to say the singing section but the whole ground essentially was the singing yeah. section and it was a joyous experience um i was a bit knackered when i got home i thought i haven't i don't think i've stood for 4 hours in quite some time but it felt like old school football yesterday uh so well, let's talk about it. By the way, I should remind uh, our our uh, listeners, and I hope you're having a nice day, by the way. Imagine waking up, because basically winter started in Britain uh, this morning. Imagine being a Tottenham fan and waking up to this and then just have a little smile to yourself when you do. Um... Before we talk the North London Derby, a reminder to read James uh, and also Amy's uh, pieces, uh, also a host of other Athletic writers' uh, thoughts from Sunday. You can do so uh, if you want to read them. Head to theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal pod for a third off a subscription. And you can get this podcast ad free. That's theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal pod.
3: And again. He's pivotal to this attack.
2: James. That is the best Arteta performance, certainly home performance, I would say. Um, And I've read this this morning, possibly on the Athletic website. I've read pretty much everything there is to read about the Arsenal this morning. But I think I read uh, since Arsenal beat Manchester United in in Arteta's first game in charge. Would you concur with that?
1: I think that it it may well come to be remembered as a, a defining performance for Mikel Arteta and his team. I mean, obviously it's it's one game, but there was a lot to be encouraged by there. And I think, you know, this is his team. I think half the team he signed, the other half he had given new contracts. And I think this is maybe one of the first times that everybody is unanimous in accepting a kind of a clear idea of what it is Mikel Arteta is trying to do. I think there's been debate about that previously, you know, some have seen it, others have not. Uh, but here, I don't think you could argue with the execution. And I think consequently, it will be something that is, you know, inevitably discussed when his intentions for this team come up. Um, I thought it was a brilliant performance. I mean, Michael Cox, I think you're right on The Athletic, wrote a piece about it being Arteta's most convincing win. I think it has to be. And it's particularly that first 45 minutes, obviously. I mean, the second half. Um, It is tricky. Once you're 3-0 up, it's kind of a bit of an awkward position to be in and to negotiate. But the game was effectively done. Arsenal knew it. Tottenham knew it. And the fans knew it too. It was almost like we were just waiting for the final whistle so we could actually celebrate it. But the football that we played in that second half was brilliant. And, you know, I think in in some ways... In the first first half, sorry. Yeah, first half. But I think in some ways, Mikel Arteta will feel so... What's the word? Um, He'll feel very justified in his decisions that he made. If you think back to the Norwich game, he made some big calls then. He changed the goalkeeper. He brought Tommy Asu straight into the team. He went with the new central defensive partnership of Gabriel and White. He really shifted things about, changed the personnel, the spine, the identity of the team. And a couple of games on from that, he's reaped huge dividends by beating Spurs so convincingly. And I think he's been rewarded for the some would say the bravery, some would say the necessity of the changes he had to make, um, you know, and they were bold and they've paid off. And I think, you know, what has been one of the defining characteristics of Arteta's Arsenal teams, he's wanted to play out from the back. And I think if you look at the goals we scored yesterday, you saw the benefit of that. I mean, the the second goal is fascinating. I think it's the second one where Ramsdale plays it into the feet of Shaka, And to be Mm. honest, it looks a little bit like a hospital pass. I mean, he's in trouble. He's got two players on his back. It's not a great situation for Shaka to be in. He does superbly, manages to turn on the ball and Arsenal are away, head up the other end and score. And I think in that moment, you see the kind of risk-reward of playing out from the back perfectly crystallised. You know, Arsenal took a huge risk, but in doing so, sucks Spurs in, were able to turn them round, go up the other end and put it away. I'm not saying that's absolutely by design. I do think that pass up from Ramsdale was probably riskier than Arteta would like, but <laughs> you see the fine margins on which these things can turn and that when you take calculated risks, when you're brave in possession, the rewards that can come from it. And I think that will almost be a, a huge coaching point for Arteta. You know, I'm sure there'll be PowerPoints and videos and graphs and chats about that moment because if you're able to do what Shaka did and credit to him, he came into the game... You know, under vilification, I think from some supporters, a lot of people didn't want him to play. In that instance, he turned potential concession of a goal into scoring a goal, um, and that's not to take away from the people who did the, the rest of the work after it. But I think for all those reasons, this will be will stand as Arteta's one of his very best games as Arsenal manager to date, certainly.
2: Uh, I mean, oh, there's a lot in there what James said, and we'll we'll talk about all those aspects, but that togetherness. I mean, I've heard Saka talking about the fans. I know Emil Smith Rowe said it was the best day of his life. A lot of people referenced the atmosphere in that stadium, and that that comes from a belief, doesn't it? That maybe the manager is is trying to do the right thing, and 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 I think if it is that defining day, it, it was the day when when the club finally sort of came together. I mean, even the ball boys were trolling the uh, the Spurs players, weren't they? I mean, God bless them.
3: Yeah, and I think. <laughs> even with the the Norwich win and the Burnley win you felt there was something happening but it just you were still waiting for that final click to happen in attack and i think you got maybe a glimpse of that at Wimbledon it's Wimbledon so we're not going to make a big deal out of it but then you see it all come together against Tottenham and that's almost the perfect time for it to happen i not think
2: almost <laughs> almost almost, almost
3: it is the perfect time to, for it to happen uh, Again, we've seen with I guess Smith Rowe, he's been getting into very good positions this season, but just hadn't had that moment yet. And I think that moment came against Wimbledon when he finally got a, got a goal. And then once he's back in that position against Tottenham, he's comfortable, I guess, uh, to 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 finish that move off. And yeah, it was just the the perfect <laughs> the perfect afternoon.
1: C- can I just ask a question? In because you were one of the. Uh, people who was at the Wimbledon game are. I wasn't there myself, and those of us who weren't there had no way of watching it. Live, <laughs> as, as everybody knows by this point, listen
2: to the radio. It was yeah, very exactly. 1980s. I Back must in say. Time.
1: But how much do you think Bukayo Saka's cameo in that game from the right hand side might have influenced Mikel Arteta's thinking? Because I heard he came on and was really impressive in that role, and it, he made the decision to switch him over and start in there. And, leave Pepe on the bench. And obviously he was sensational against Spurs. So do you think that that Wimbledon game and what he delivered in that few minutes he played from that position will have played into Arteta's thoughts?
3: Potentially. I think when Arsenal fans saw Bukayo Saka coming on, they probably thought he was the last person that should have come onto the pitch because you want to give him rest as we've spoken about a thousand times on here. But it is almost that situation where It seems like Arteta was giving him minutes just to get his confidence back a little bit. He came on and was very bright on the right. There was times where he came inside and and got shots off. There were times where he just wanted to get around the outside. And I think that's where you just saw him come to life, really, this season. We haven't really seen the urgency that we saw last year and the year before this year. Um, But we did see that against Wimbledon, those who were there. And again, like you saw, um, I guess a similar situation with Smith-Rowe. He's come on for maybe 20 minutes, I'm not sure. And he's got himself a goal and he's just, I guess, carried that momentum into the North London derby. So I think the way Arteta played the, the Wimbledon game in terms of just usage of players, Like, say, starting Thomas Partey, giving him an hour just to get a bit more of that match fitness. He looked very good against Tottenham.
2: Yeah. Do you know I'd like to go through each of the team, to be honest with you, and just go, how good were they? Because they were... It it was 11 standout performances, really. but, But... As you mentioned, we're talking about uh, Emil Smith-Rowe and uh, Bukayo Saka. This Hale-End thing that we've got going on at the moment, and and we saw Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang give the most delightful interview after the game when he's got Emil Smith-Rowe standing next to him and the crowd are singing his name. And he, you could see how delighted he was. And it makes me feel good just to think about it. But he was praising the boys at Hale-End and saying, what a, what a fantastic job they've done. I mean... How much these guys could achieve if things work out for them? Emil Smith, I know Bukayo Saka. What an amazing uh, last couple of years he's had, but Emil Smith Rowe, the way he took that ball for that second goal and his general movement and the the way he took his goal, I mean the guy could be a superstar, couldn't he?
1: I think so. I mean Gareth Southgate was at um, the Burnley game last week. I don't know if he was at the Spurs game, but he he ought to have been because Emil Smith Rowe is a future England player without any question. He has all the right capabilities. He has every attributes that you would want in that position. I I think he was sensational against Tottenham. I think, although we've seen so much promise, we all know what a good player he is. He he played a big part in changing the course of our season last year. I do kind of feel that this was sort of a a coming of age moment for him. You know, it was... uh, like he described it himself, the best day of his life. He's He scored, he created one, he was involved very heavily in the third as well. Brilliant sweeping pass out to the right-hand side. He's a boy who understands this rivalry, absolutely, who grew up playing for the academy, who's played in North London derbies since he was a boy to this point. Uh, how can you not be over- excited? How can you not be overwhelmed by seeing you know young arsenal talent flourish in this way. Yeah. But I think it's worth saying as well that they were really well supported yesterday by the senior players. Yes. And you know he went with Granit Xhaka in the midfield next to Thomas Partey. They were kind of a, a pair of bouncers really for some of the younger players around them. <laughs> Two very experienced, very solid for the most part in Xhaka's case professionals. Um and I thought they shepherded the team through the game really well. I thought Abamyang led the line superbly and it's something you know he's been criticised for not always doing but I think the performance he put in I mean the amount of aerial duels he got himself into yeah, he was everything that went long was aimed up to him and he, was he being, won them
2: he won, he won, won them, them yeah yeah.
1: against you know Eric Dyer and whoever else it might be big burly centre-halves you'd think would have the better of him it was a, a demonstration of serious athleticism on his part played the full game, led from the front, produced a, a replica iconic celebration as well in front of the Spurs fans, which I think he thoroughly <laughs> enjoyed. And I think we all thoroughly enjoyed as well. We did. So, yeah, I think the senior players um, really played their part. And there was a lovely balance to the team of youth and experience, a really good blend. And actually, you know, when I was looking at the bench, I was looking at a guy like Lacazette who struggled to get minutes recently, particularly in the Premier League, obviously featured against Wimbledon, but, you know, left on the bench again here. Burn Leno, who's lost his place uh, to Aaron Ramsdale. And I was sort of watching, thinking, am I going to see some sour faces here? You know, am I going to see some people with their hoods up and looking at the ground? And I didn't see any of that. No, You know, these guys, every goal, they were off the bench. When they were warming up on the sidelines, they were cheering on their teammates. At a full-time whistle, the first thing Burn Leno did was go over to Aaron Ramsdale and they had an embrace. And I just thought, that is the sign of a a positive camp. That is the sign of a camp who believe in in the coach, believe in what he's trying to achieve. And I think that's a really good thing. Arsenal went through a very testing period, a lot of noise outside the club, a lot of discontent, but they have stuck together. And I think that that's, could provide, you know, a bit of a foundation for their future. You know, I, I think out of the trials and tribulations of those first few weeks of the season, maybe uh, a togetherness, a bond has been formed within this young squad. I certainly hope so, because the signs that we saw against Spurs, and I think that we started to see little glimmers off against Norwich and Burnley, have been really encouraging.
2: Two particular players I want to talk about. I'll ask you about Aaron Ramsdale, as uh, James mentioned him. That connection that he's got with the fans... And you can see that, and also, like I say, he was working the ball boys as well yesterday because there was a, t- a moment when the ball went out, and he told the ball boy, and he obviously had him primed, he said, calm down, don't give it back to me straight away, yeah. just mess about with him a bit, <laughs> and and Deli Alley is getting upset, you can see that, which obviously made it better for all of us. Um, and then finally the ball boy gave it back, and I thought, and, and obviously the fans love him, and... He made a fantastic save at the end of that game. You know, if they get 3-2 with five minutes of injury time to go, that is a nervous Emirates. And they can nick it at that point. Undeservedly, but it doesn't really matter. Um, oh, uh, He's the first team goalkeeper now, isn't he? There's there's essentially no doubt about that, Art.
3: Yeah, and when you talk about this connection with the fans, that was evident from before he even kicked a ball for Arsenal yes. at West Brom. Uh, I remember being there and... The way end of singing his name before kickoff has even happened, and I think he gets a, a massive buzz off of that. Then you go to Burnley, it's the same there, and um, you see against Tottenham, the the mesh of the fan connection, but also his connection with his teammates. Um, I remember the the save. I think it was from Kane shooting across goal. He palms it out wide, and Tomiyasu deals with the I guess rebound. We'll call yeah. it. And the the embrace that they had after that just, I guess, signified how positive the energy is that he does transmit. I know that's something that Arteta's been very vocal about even before Ramsdale signed, just in terms of a a general point in terms of what types of energy people transmit at Arsenal. And I think that Ramsdale has been probably the, the, so far anyway, the shining light for for an example of what positive energy is, and in terms of actual goalkeeping, I think that save was amazing. The I think it was the shot from Lucas Mora that was yes. deflected, and then with with the the goal itself, I wasn't too really concerned about that. I think even in his post match with <laughs> with David Seaman, he, he mentioned that. Um, If his body weight was a bit more forward, then he would have uh, probably got a stronger hand to it. And that's something I guess I wouldn't wouldn't even have thought of. But he's a goalkeeper, so he knows that. And I think, yeah, all across the board, aside from that, again, the risky pass that James mentioned, which turned out into a very rewarding pass. I think he just continues to go on that upward trajectory since joining Arsenal. And it is great to see.
2: And David Seaman, I mean, Art mentioned David Seaman, James, and he obviously did that post-match interview uh, where uh, uh, Ramsdale was very funny about how old David Seaman was as well. Is he somebody
1: you used to watch a lot as a young goalkeeper, Aaron?
2: I'm not that old. (laughs) And he was sort of disappointed for letting in that goal. And I like the way that David Seaman said to him, don't do this to yourself. You just won a North London derby. Enjoy it. David Seaman is going to be around. Uh, Those two, they seem to have a connection. That's got to help hasn't it in the long term
1: yeah well uh, uh, David Seaman actually when Arsenal were being first linked with Aaron Ramsdale and a lot of fans were none too pleased about it David Seaman was one of the only people who came out and said I think this is a promising young goalkeeper and it wouldn't be a, a bad idea and I'm sure Aaron saw that and was aware of that so I'm sure he's very appreciative of that and maybe David said that partly because as Amy mentioned on the show here you know he's had that experience himself of being an northern goalkeeper coming into Arsenal, not the most wanted guy, and yet being able to oust an established number one and and claim the spot for himself. There's an affinity, perhaps. I think Ramsdale, you know, even he probably has exceeded Seaman's expectations, anyone's expectations in terms of how quickly he is taken to life at Arsenal. But I do think it's interesting. Sometimes you don't know what a team is missing until you see it. And I think he is an instance of that. You know, as soon as you see, as Art talked about, the way he transmits his character, his leadership, really. I mean, I know he's a 23-year-old guy, but he's a leader in that defence, a communicator. As soon as you see that, you're like, of course. Arsenal have needed somebody like that for a long time. And we haven't had it. But it's just a difficult thing to define until you actually see it out on the field. And I think... Supporters in the ground are seeing that. I think even supporters at home watching on telly are seeing it too. In those moments with his centre-halves, with Tommy know, when a goal goes in, the way he reacts, the way he deals with situations, and fans are rallying behind him. And I'm sure as a 23-year-old goalkeeper, one who's very confident, likes to take a few risks, I think inevitably there'll be a mistake at some point. But I think he's got enough credit in the bank now to survive that. And as you say, I think he he is pretty established at this point as the number one.
2: Talking of Amy, by the way, uh, she was obviously gutted not to be able to do this podcast. I mean, the poor woman's had to talk about Man City, Chelsea, and Brentford, but uh, <laughs> she couldn't do this one. But we are—I am going to have a little chat with her uh, a little bit later on, uh, so we'll hear that uh, as well. Um, the other person I wanted to mention, James, I'm going to ask you first, Martin Odegaard. Um, I. Uh, like I say, I was standing behind that goal in the first half and Martin Odegaard was pressing and pressing and pressing for the whole of the game as far as I could tell. I mean, he was really the first one to push uh, Hugo Lloris and and um, uh, the energy that boy has got married to the, the, the tremendous skill and talent that he has. Is he first name on the team sheet now, really?
1: I, I said something yesterday in my post-match video about how I think... As the, as, ma- as much as there are many outstanding players in this team, I kind of feel like the the keys to the team belong to Thomas Partey and Martin Odegaard. Yes, I think they are technically exceptional footballers, and for for the first half yesterday, Odegaard, in my opinion, was basically walking on water. I mean, he couldn't do wrong. His control of the ball, his manipulation of the ball, the passing decisions he made were outstanding. And I think when you think of his age as well, you know, he's a young guy with room to grow. Again, like Ramsdale, he's someone who is a leader despite being 22 years of age. He leads in the way he plays. Arsene Wenger would call him a technical leader, but he leads with that incredible work rate that you mentioned as well. I'm trying to think of Arsenal, you know, we've had a history of very creative number 10 style players. And I think maybe we don't anticipate that they're going to have that athleticism, that stamina side to their game as well. I mean, you think of Thomas Wozcicki, he was someone who was very busy, who could close down, who could press. Odegaard has that in spades and he leads the press at times. There was points, I think, in the second half where once Emerson came on for Tottenham, Aubameyang, although he's playing as the centre forward, would sort of follow him out wide a little bit when they had possession. And Odegaard was sort of holding the centre of the pitch on his own, chasing, herring around after things. Yeah, I thought he was excellent. I think he's been excellent. I think he was a steal at the price that Arsenal paid. And um, it's interesting, you know, there was a lot of debate in the summer about James Madison. Should Arsenal go for James Madison or Martin Odegaard? I think Madison was dropped by Brendan Rodgers for he the Leicester team this week. He was. Martin Odegaard shining for Arsenal. So it looks like they may have made a, a decent decision on that one.
2: Uh, Granit Xhaka came back in the team. We aren't going to go through everyone, but it, we really aren't because we haven't got time to do it. But Xhaka, I Xhaka, should, we, we should wish him a happy birthday. 29 uh, years old. And, um, uh, I mean, overall, uh, is that the first team now that we saw on that pitch yesterday. I mean, I mean, James was talking about the subs bench and they were happy and everything. But And you bring Pepe on, let's say, or Lacazette if things weren't working out up front. But that is the first 11 now, isn't it?
3: Yeah, I do think so. When we look at the last few weeks when Granit Xhaka was suspended, I was maybe looking back in retrospect, the 4-3-3 was because that doesn't suit Granit Xhaka. I think the players who played in, in those roles, so Thomas Partey, Emil Smith-Rowe and Martin Odegaard are a lot more agile and can move quicker than Granit Xhaka can move. So it made sense to to switch to that, which we all know that uh, Arteta's wanted to use that system for a while. But when Granit Xhaka comes back and is back available, it's not a total surprise that he comes straight back into the team because he was Arsenal and I should say Mikel Arteta's most used outfielder player last season in all yes. competitions. Yes. Um, even though he still divides the fan base, he's had the trust of Mikel Arteta since Arteta walked through the door, he basically. Has. I know that, confuse, that probably still confuses some Arsenal fans after yesterday uh, because of the nature of the Granite Shacker conversation. But it is where things are at with Mikel Arteta. And I think when you see, I guess, how he dealt with... The Tottenham press for the second goal, it was very encouraging. I know we're going to get a mistake at some point. It's Granit Xhaka, it will happen. But he stood up to be counted yesterday and justified his selection. I think when you see the, I guess the partnership that he has with Thomas Partey, is probably the best in terms of balance for a midfield two since he was partnered with Lucas Torreira under Unai Emery in that first, probably six months of that first season under Emery. I think that's a partnership that works very well in terms of Shaka being the more controlling midfielder and then Partey's got a bit more of a license to to just do what he does. (laughs) Um, And I think yeah, going forward you see probably that back five Bramsdale included Partey and Shaka partnering partnering each other the technical supporting trio I'd call them of Saka, Erdegaard and Smithrow and then Pierre Mickabamian up top.
2: <laughs> well, well, well. <laughs> Things seem to have come together quite nicely, don't they? <laughs> um, yeah, we'll get uh, Amy Lawrence's views uh, about yesterday's wonderful, wonderful, uh, possibly uh, landmark victory uh, over Spurs in a short while. Uh, this is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast, brought to you by The Athletic. <laughs>
4: We better beat uh,
2: with the handbrake at time. Now, it was also, it was a wonderful day for the Arsenal. Um, the women's team thrashed Man City uh, 5-0. Art, um, oh, you were at the game. I mean, I saw Man City take a bite at Everton a couple of weeks ago, and I thought, oh, they look good. They look really, really good. Arsenal, I mean, I saw the goals yesterday. Arsenal were absolutely wonderful. It, it, this was a real performance, wasn't it?
3: Definitely quick disclaimer that Man City have got a lot of injuries at the minute but that yeah yeah, but yeah. <laughs> I just had to get that in there no, but, but you know
2: what oh, sorry <laughs> we, we had a lot of injuries in that first game against Brentford and no one gave us any cut us any slack at all I mean we had sorry. six players out with COVID <laughs> and we didn't get a single bit of slack so I'm not having it right fair enough. I'm really uh, we beat Man City five minutes.
3: <laughs> fair enough and yeah I think the the main I guess um positive is that last year and the year before to be honest it was these games against Chelsea and Manchester City that they often decide where the title goes in the WSL. Yeah. I guess coming up against Chelsea and City in the first three games of the new season, I think a lot of people would have almost panicked at that in the summer. But speaking to uh, manager Jonas, Jonas, I should say, yeah. <laughs> uh, Jonas Edival, uh before before the game this weekend, he said he actually preferred to have harder games Earlier in the season because it means you have to start quickly. You can't just, I guess, stumble your way through preseason thinking you're going to have an easy ride in the early weeks of the season. And then
1: I wish you would told Mikel Arteta that. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. I, when when he did when he said that, I was thinking, wow, what? I guess that that's probably the mindset Mikel Arteta should have had. But you saw that in terms of. He brought back all Arsenal's Olympians early to to play in the Champions League qualifiers. They were all ready for the first game of the season against Chelsea and against Manchester City. Everybody knew their role. It was actually um, Vivian Miedema and Beth Mead playing striker and right wing who had the most tackles for Arsenal against Manchester City because the approach was press high and win the ball back high and then also... When Arsenal did have the ball, they were just very quick to get in behind the fullbacks, long balls uh, for Beth Mead and Katie McCabe to chase, which uh, led to the Katie McCabe's goal, which was the third on the on the night. But I think overall the total performance was very complete from Arsenal. Um, and then you think by by the time you reach the hour mark, it's three 0 and Arsenal have Nikita Paris, Tobin Heath, and Caitlin Ford to bring on. Jordan Nobbs didn't even come on yesterday because she's <laughs> still coming back from injury. But the strength and depth has also been very key to, say, Chelsea winning the, the league last season. Yes. Um, Arsenal didn't have that because Joe Montemoreau preferred a smaller squad. But Edouard has been very clear early on that he prefers a bigger squad. And I think that alongside the return of... Um, Gary Lewin as the head of uh, sports science and medicine will help massively throughout the season because it's it's good having a, a big squad, but you have to make sure they're all available as often as possible. So I think the, the work that was done in the summer was very deliberate and they've reaped rewards early on. They just need to kind of keep that momentum going and they've actually got Tottenham as well on, on Wednesday in the FA Cup. So there's something to, for Arsenal fans to look forward to in terms of midweek football, because I know uh, we've been starved of that in the last couple of weeks.
2: <laughs> yeah. James, you were shaking your head there slightly at the thought of both Arsenal teams being 3-0 up, I think, after the first yeah. sort of 45 minutes or something. Yeah. And what a good day it was and how how together everyone's feeling at the moment.
1: Definitely. And I think, you know, if the, if the women's team can go on and do the Derby double on Wednesday night, that's only going to add to the... Feel good factor. I mean, they're you know they're doing astonishingly well, and the strength of strength in depth they have is absolutely frightening. You know, Tobin Heath came on for a debut yesterday. Another brilliant attacking option in the side. I, I honestly, God knows how they're going to fit them all in. They probably won't, but they'll rotate, and it will give them huge strength over the course of the campaign. Um, but I think it is lovely to see that the mood is so much brighter now across the club generally than it was. Since the international break, I think, you know, the improvement in form from the men's team is obviously a big part of that. And uh, long may it continue. I mean, Arsenal, the men's team have a, a decent little run of fixtures coming up. I mean, they do go to Brighton, who look very good this season. They're riding high in the Premier League. but
2: They could um, go top. They could go top tonight if they beat Palace, which obviously would be like the the best thing that could ever happen to them. And I've got course. a soft spot for them as well. Brighton, I think you know it's it's a good team in in a, a great town. If you've been down there, it's a lot of fun, but that is going to be a tough game, isn't it?
1: It is, but you know, if you look at the fixtures following that, it's Palace at home and Villa at home in the space of a week. Uh, then we go to uh, then we host Leeds. So I think it's three home games. Oh, one's in the League Cup. Sorry, yeah. so the is in the League Cup. Then it's Leicester, Watford. You know, these are the, winnable. these are winnable. They're hard games, but they are winnable. And then it's Liverpool, I think, in uh, mid-November is where things start to look a little tough again. But, yeah, I think there is, you know, reason to be optimistic. And and let's just enjoy and bask in the fact that at the international break, Arsenal were rock bottom of the table. Spurs, I believe, were top at the time. Three wins (laughs) from three. Uh, Just three games on, Arsenal are now above uh, Tottenham <laughs> in tenth place, having sort of leapfrogged <laughs> into the top half. So
2: exactly, uh,
1: there's a lot of satisfaction to be drawn from that.
2: Yeah, uh, it's just big smiling faces on my screen at the moment. It's very, very nice. Uh, let's have a song art uh, to finish.
3: So mine's not actually a song; it's a chant. First heard it when Arsenal played Brentford. It's the Saka and Smith row chant. I yeah. think. Everyone, I think Amy might have mentioned it in one of our preseason chats that they needed a song, and um, I, when I first heard it, I was like, "Yeah, that goes." <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm imagining because I wasn't there at the game, but I'm imagining that was sung again at the Emirates yesterday. Quite a bit. Uh, yeah, and I think that's probably my favourite chant at the minute because those two are my favourite players. So I'll go with that. Uh, it seems quite fitting that they both scored and both created goals as well. So um, perfect day for both of them and I'll go for that.
2: Yeah, perfect day for all of us actually. If we're having chance, by the way, that Tottenham get battered everywhere they go. <laughs> we sang that a lot yesterday as well. And that was great. Uh, I mean, I, was, I don't think I've ever heard quite so much singing uh, at the Emirates. Um, and by the way, you mentioned this, James, before the game, I was in the concourse. It only takes half an hour to get a cup of coffee, by the way. I mean, I could have gone <laughs> to Brazil and got one quicker, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, but in the concourse, the noise was intense. And uh, and hello, if you're listening to the person who who genuinely wouldn't believe me when I said I wasn't David Badil, all right uh, in the, I, I I almost went yeah I am I think he thought I was anyway um, James what have you got for a song
1: I actually I'm going to go with a listener's suggestion it's always nice when people get in touch to let us know what they might like to see so do do that if you're at home but Addy who's at Elfish Pretzley on Twitter <laughs> said song recommendation for Handbrake Off It Was A Good Day by Ice Cube It
2: Was A Good Day
1: And it was certainly a good day all round.
2: All right, I'll have... uh, You know what? It's cliche, but I'm having happy uh, um, (laughs) because I I genuinely haven't had this feeling in quite some time. Norwich and Burnley were lovely. This is something special. And uh, let's hold on to this and uh, Brighton next week. Have a good... Week Gooners, thanks to Abby, our producer, thanks to James and to Art, and thanks to Amy as well, who I'll be talking to in a short while. Uh, see you soon.
0: This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to com slash Courtside to learn more.
2: A bit like um Extra Slice on Bake Off now, basically. Uh, Amy Lawrence has joined us. Good
4: morning, Amy. Good morning, Ian. Uh, <laughs> I feel like it's a sort of like Victoria Sponge with sort of Rocky Road on top and then extra special... <laughs> The red velvet, you know, just put yeah. it all together to make a extravaganza kind of smorgasbord of happy cake.
2: <laughs> if you want to use the cake bake off analogy, yeah, I, I, well, all I would say is to me, cake is always happy, but you know what uh, it is, but my God, what a lovely day yesterday we did we were sitting near each other as it turns out in in what was what I I was going to call the singing section, but the whole stadium was rocking yesterday, wasn't it? I mean, it was just beautiful.
4: I was wondering afterwards whether this was a slight sort of COVID thing in the sense that here was really the biggest, you know, a genuinely massive game to have. And people are so hungry for that kind of feeling. And I almost think there's a sense of, you'd you'd forgotten like quite how wonderful it could be to be in that sort of euphoric crowd crest for wave the world feels perfect yeah. scaling the mountain type of feeling. Um I don't know, it felt it felt it felt the other thing I thought it felt like, I don't know if you would this chimes with you, but even before the game started in the concourse like oh, underneath yes. the stands, It it was more like an away game than a home game. It's not normally like that in the Emirates before matches. You kind of go in and everyone's sort of wondering. And it was like crowded, like in the concourse. And you've got that lovely echo of the sound and everybody's sort of coming in and singing. And the bars is really growing. Uh, And we had a particularly um, fun time because a bloke just uh, decided to jump on top of one of those sort of table ledge type things that they've got. Periodically around where you could put your drink down, or you know, have yep. a, you know, and there's bins and hand sanitizer stuff, you know, that you can use as a kind of ledge. Uh, and he jumped on it and started collecting the pint pots, the plastic pint pots, and making a tower. <laughs> and it was just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And, oh, the crowds are going, Way! and it was wobbling around, the leaning tower of Pisa thing going on. And he obviously wanted to try and get to the ceiling with his tower of cups. And he was, and and suddenly he couldn't reach any further. And he he had a brilliant idea to take off the top load and make them bigger so he could actually reach. And people were going crazy, like cheering (laughs) as if people could score a goal. And then he reached a point where it couldn't get any higher. And another bloke jumped on the ledge and put this guy on his shoulders. And the tower's growing and growing and they finally make it to the ceiling. And it's like, it was mayhem. Just, you know, this is like half an hour before kickoff. And it just felt... Very unlike normal games at the Emirates. Let's well, just say that. at the
2: Emirates, that's mm-hmm. the point. It's exactly mm-hmm. what you said. It felt like an away game. Certainly where we, where I was, uh, I was going to say where I was sitting, but I was standing for the entire game. It was an away game, except there were 55,000 of us.
4: And even, them. you know, the usual sort of like early departure to catch the, you know, the tube or whatever Didn't to happen. get home. I mean, well, there were a few people who did that. It was noticeably very, very uh, lesser numbers than usual. And you could feel that everybody wanted to stay and reconnect with the players and celebrate with them. And uh, even outside the ground, there was like quite a gathering around the Tony Adams statue and Mm. flares and all sorts going off. And I I live not too far away. I could still hear people singing the song uh, about Tottenham getting (laughs) battered, Battered, Um, you know, about two hours after the game. So... Did it you was, see
2: Aubameyang's car get surrounded as well I, at the end? I, I, and did was an, see, a, I didn't a,
4: see that myself, but I saw the video and I did actually think, it, you know, he was remarkably sanguine about it because it kind of looked quite scary if you were in that car.
2: I but, think you know, when you've just scored a goal in a North London derby and we've won 3-1 and we've absolutely battered them, let's be fair. I mean, I've read a few reports that said it was 3-1, but look, it felt like a 5 or 6-0 and it did really because everyone knew the game was over
4: at half-time. Mm. Well, it was. I think you know, without wishing to go on too much about the name of this podcast, but bloody hell, it felt like the handbrake had been ripped yes, off, and yes. I think that was what was so uh, yeah. uh, exciting for people because it's what it's what you want. You it's know, you don't want to see for. cautious, patient, no. boring, you know, slightly inhibited football. You want to see freedom and expression and excitement. You want to be jumping out your seat and. The, the energy levels of the players, it, you know, it, it was like creatine football. Yeah. Do you remember when Arsene Wenger first came and suddenly the players were just more powerful and faster? Yeah. I mean, you know, what's going on here? Like, And everybody made a big fuss about the the vitamins that, <laughs> that Arsene, Arsene left out in bowls and you know in the training ground for them to come and pick up in the morning. But it, it, it did feel like, you know, for whatever, and I think it was – uh, almost a psychological and spiritual thing they got this boost and you know what was said to them before the game to get them going I, i'm a i'm a big believer that in in life y- you need moments sometimes that change things for you you don't always know they're coming but you know when you when you get a moment you know that you're going to feel differently about something because of it and you know that possibilities are going to look different because of it And it felt like a moment game. And you looked at the faces of those players. You looked at the face of Mikel Arteta, who has had, you know, problems keeping people, you know, backing him lately. Uh, And you see that he's almost dislocating his jaw in one of those photos. His mouth is so wide. Never seen him express himself quite like that before. But you look at, particularly with the new players, you're coming into a new club. You're trying to find your feet. You're trying to settle in. It's difficult because the pressure's on. The team's losing games. There's a lot of negativity flying around. It must have been quite a eye-opening first few weeks for some of these guys. Yes. Then to experience a high like that, it's like, wow, this is what it's all about.
2: But do you think that that, I mean, it did feel like a statement performance and, and a marker and, but I felt that before. I remember when Unai Emery's team beat Spurs 4-2 and Torreira scored that goal and that the explosion of joy at that point And you felt like, here they are. This is a team we can get behind. And I remember saying pretty
4: much the same thing. But It's funny how many, how many of these are North London derbies. Even going back to George Graham, 1987, Littlewoods Cup semi-final. <sighs> that was a moment yeah, that was but... a springboard for the team. Arsene Wenger, the first North London derby, you know, winning 3-1 with two late goals. That wonder goal from Bergkamp. Ian Wright with I love the lads and and Tony Adams scoring a great goal in the rain. And that was another one where it was like, what are we watching here? What is going on with this team? This is a team that's got this mixture of like, you know, old fashioned British grit with, uh, you know, this this talented sophistication coming in. There's something going on. And like it doesn't always work as a platform for something new. As you said, with Unai Emery, it, it, it was maybe a bit more of a, a false dawn moment. And the challenge for Mikel Arteta and these players is to try and make this one a more sustainable moment.
2: Yeah. I mean, I mean, all right, two things I specifically want to talk about with you. One, and I know we've talked about the crowd, but how much of a part do you think we can play going forward now? Because because i heard james di- this morning describe the emirates as a cauldron right i mean I genuinely and i didn't i haven't felt that very often i, I gen- and i said this earlier when that third goal went in i haven't heard a noise like that very often and I, and and like you say it was all in the build up in the in the concourse before the game and and uh, people were there early we have a part to play in making the Emirates a difficult place for opposing teams to go. I've, I've, I felt like Spurs shrunk because of the noise and the intensity of the atmosphere. I think it's up to us as well as the players, right? Saka said he felt it, they fed off the, uh, the
4: crowd. Uh, yeah, I think, Mikel Arteta is. Done a really clever job in the way that he's trying to harness this yes. energy and make this connection or reconnect. It was
2: for the fans, is what he said.
4: Well, I mean, look, it's it's for the club, it's for everybody involved with with the, with Arsenal, uh, uh, something like that. But of course, it would be great to think that it's going to be like that every week. But we, but you know as well as I do, that ain't happening. No, I mean, it's a, it was a special one, and you you know you rise to the occasion for the the special ones. Um, but it could be better than it, than it was in the kind of pre-COVID era where, you know, people were grumpy and there was empty seats and, you know, the the club are trying to make it easier with a ticket exchange, make sure tickets are, are being used, which is really important, trying to encourage people to stay the duration on a kind of, you know, November afternoon, evening when it's cold and horrible and you need to get home and, Maybe it's two 0 and there's five, ten minutes to go. Are people going to stick around and give it that same energy? Well, probably not. No. But obviously, the more that can rally this sense of unity, this sense of connection. Look, the fans have a part to play, but it's really simple with football. If the team's doing well, then it it helps. Yeah, if the team come if out, the team with the, come out, with a and commitment. And, yeah, you, you know, you feel that you really want to support them. You yes, feel like you want to be there for them to clap them at the end. I um, mean, Ramsdale is <laughs> just become iconic so I quickly, know. and so he's he's, so he's like a master of playing to the crowd. It's really interesting because I, don't, I wouldn't say Arsenal have had a ton of uh, 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 of players with that kind of very kind of expressive personality where you can sense that he's feeding off the crowd and he wants to get them going and he's got eye contact with them and he's doing gestures with them and you can feel something happening there and that's really helpful for the team as well yeah and and well there were two we, uh, we wanted to talk
2: about particularly Aaron Ramsdale I did speak about with Art and uh, and James and, and what an amazing impression and what a connection he's made so quickly but also uh Tommy Asu Tommy, Tomo, whatever you want to call him. Right? Um and and what he's done, he's he's come along, he's gone straight into the team. He's essentially won every header. He's gone for since he first started playing for us. And that that's he isn't connected with the crowd in the way that Ramsdale is, but what an impression he's made and and we might just have solved the right back problem for the next 10 years.
4: Well, uh, who, who knows? But, I mean, he's definitely – a performance like that in a game like that yeah. is uh, is a monumental step for him. And, you know, he just looks like he belongs. He's slotted in with uh, – maybe it actually demonstrates how much the it was a problem position because, like, it feels quite revelatory to see someone being so commanding in that yeah. position and you realise how conspicuous that – Kind of uh, dominance was by its absence um, previously, but it was a phenomenal performance by him, and and it shows uh, the mentality that he can come into this new team so quickly, go into a game of that ferocity, and you know, up against probably Tottenham's best player, yeah, um, yeah. and and can be in very much control for the vast majority of the game. He was. Absolutely brilliant. But it's also interesting to see how, I mean, when you think about this kind of asymmetrical pattern, this lopsided way that Arsenal play with Tierney going bombing forward and the right-back staying put, and you always think, well, surely you've got to attack up both sides. I mean, I feel like a bit of an idiot here, but I don't really understand, in a way, the asymmetrical system because it makes more sense to me that you'd be able to both attack and defend up both sides and maybe take your pick. But anyway, apparently not. but what, you know, by being uh, as secure as he is, it has allowed that right side to flourish in a way that it couldn't before. Because maybe the right midfielder and right wingers or right attackers would have to drift back more to help out than they now do. So it, the way that it's affecting that right side and making Arsenal able to be strong on both flanks is interesting.
2: Yeah. Uh I yes, I completely agree with you about that, that lopsided thing, but it it seemed to work quite well yesterday. So I uh, you know what? Fair enough. Let's go with it. One more guy I want to talk about before I let you go, Amy, is Thomas Partey. Um did we see the real Thomas Partey emerge yesterday and basically do I mean we paid fifty million pounds for him and we had high hopes and then he got injuries and what have you, but yesterday He was so on top of that game. He just strode about that pitch. I don't want to say, well, I'm going to say Patrick Vieira, right? I am going to say Patrick Vieira. No, what? But I'm just, that's what it felt like. The way he was in control of that midfield yesterday, it allowed our young players to do what they they did. We got the guy we finally paid for, right?
4: Well, you know, I still think there's a bit more to come from him. He still feels like he needs a little bit more kind of, Arteta used the word minutes the other day when he was talking about how he played against AFC Wimbledon and everyone thought, what's he doing in this game? But I feel like that kind of sense of being completely in the zone. He's nearly there. And also his shots, obviously, are getting better.
2: Shot on target yep. yesterday.
4: Yeah, It's coming. <laughs> it's coming soon. Um, yeah. And I think that he, you know, he must have had, a bit like Gabriel, you know, they both came, you know, last year and had not the easiest sort of initiation period, uh, interrupted by various things and not quite, you know, showing glimmers, but not quite finding that full form. And what these guys need, Gabrielle, by the way, was immense. Yeah. um, Is a, is a string of games. And I think anybody who looks at that Arsenal team yesterday recognises that, I mean, it looks like a first 11. It's the first team. We're obviously in a, in a squad environment, but you wouldn't want to take too many of them out, ideally. Um, So, i think the more games that as a as an 11 can be built around as many of them as as is humanly possible that that i think will help all of them it will help party it will help people to just get stronger and make those connections and relationships that just make the game easier and faster and you know that fast football was it was a bit you know it was Literally. such a touchstone with what you know what we what we used to Feel so happy about old Arsenal. Was that kind of explosivity and that capacity to spring from one end of the pitch to the other. Yeah, and that has not been very visible lately. So to have that reconnection, even with that sort of style, that kind of energy, was was really fantastic.
2: My mate texted me after the game, he said, look at us, we're moving. It was a beautiful thing, it really was. And obviously everything was beautiful at that point, I was high on that game. Uh, let's have a song, Amy. Uh, everyone else has come up with it. Have you oh thought about God, a song? I
4: completely forgot to think about a song. <laughs> I've
2: been so- oh Jesus <laughs> Christ. I know, well, you've had a lot on. We've all had a lot on. So, uh, do you have a, a, a something with a happy,
4: joyous theme? What was that song... Um, I can't even remember who it was by, called
0: High Energy. You know that
4: sort of disco song? <laughs> yes,
2: yes. Oh, I Well, if there is a song out there called High Energy, it's perfectly apt for what we did yesterday because uh, it was... I'll text the uh...
4: producer who that was by and I can remember... <laughs>
2: Uh, Amy, uh, do you know what? I might call you afterwards. We'll just have, we'll just continue this chat for the next half an hour because I'm more than happy to do it. Uh, thanks, Amy. Thanks for uh, coming on. See you
4: soon.